I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Monday, September 23, 2019. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. We've got a lot of stuff to go over today. I've got a laundry list of items. We're also going to take a look at several markets within the market. We're going to take a look at some of the sectors and then some of the stocks within those sectors to get an idea of what they think the market is doing or what the market thinks the stocks are doing. Either way, the stocks are generally a tell for what's to come in the major indices. We're going to throw the ball around the horn. I've got some different things. Some are related to each other and some are out in left field unrelated to anything. But those are the kind of things I absolutely love. Before we really get rolling, there's a couple of things we have to cover. Some questions that came up late last week about the SPY. The SPY on Friday went ex-dividend. That's part of that quadruple witching options expiration. There's a lot of stuff going on last week leading into Friday of last week. So therefore, the spider paid a dividend. So when the market opens Friday morning, it looks like the SPY is down. But that's as a result of the dividend. And it's down the equal amount to what the ex-dividend is for the quarter. Whenever this happens, for a few days, we tend to focus on either the cash index, the SPX, or we switch over to the E-mini contract. Right now, it's not going to make that big of a difference because what we have to discuss isn't necessarily so number-specific to the penny as it relates to the SPY on the daily chart. So we're not going to worry about the dividend right now. We'll move along. We'll cover all the stuff we need to cover. And we'll give everybody the best picture we can of what the setup is going forward. Where are the major overhead resistance zones? Where is the major support area? What happens if we bust through either one? We're going to cover all this stuff and a whole heck of a lot more right here, right now. Just real quick, this is somewhat of a short hop. What we're going to do is go over a few things from inside the numbers. Here's a piece of the pre-market commentary. You can see early in the morning, and this starts to show up 7.30, quarter to 8, sometimes before. It starts to show up long before the market's open. We're already discussing the big fat round number of 3,000. It's not an accident or a coincidence that numbers like that continue to show up over and over again. So here we are on the support side. You can see in the middle there are important numbers below current price such as 29.80 and below. Slightly below the overnight lows if tested will be important for the bulls to close hourly above. And then I go on to cite some of the things that we find also on the chart that A relates to the course lazy e-mini trader, B relates to things you need to know today and C We always have to stay one step ahead of the market and everybody else. So the market may be approaching one support area. We need to know where the next one is as a just-in-caser. So what we do early in the morning is try to lay out all the possibilities up front, and then we narrow it down as the morning starts to unfold, and we begin to discard things that didn't happen, and we begin to discuss things that are happening. 
First thing in the morning, everybody gets the big picture. As the morning and the day goes on, we don't need the big picture for intraday trading. The picture begins to narrow. We only need the pieces to the puzzle that we need for that specific day as it relates to intraday trading or day trades, anything open from inside the numbers, any day trades or shorter term swing trades. That's everything that's found within the commentary. It's necessary and, by the way, required reading. Then at the bottom, we go on to discuss the Fed and the continued repo operations. We're not sure exactly what to make of this stuff yet. We don't need to discuss it today. You can read what I wrote. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it another time. The rest of the day was pretty uneventful. You know what happened. We're going to go over the charts. But there are a couple of other things that we need to note. How about stocks on the move? We had only two opportunities today, but that's okay. It's all the market handed us in the morning. We can only deal with what the market is willing to provide in the way of opportunity. So today we had a total of three opportunities from this list, two from stocks on the move and one gap trade. One stock on the move list participant hit its number, AA. We'll look at that chart real quick. And the other one from Morning Gap Trades, that was EXAS. We'll also look at that chart as well. So this was a Morning Gap Trade where a stock was gapping higher at the opening bell. So what we're doing is identifying one, two, and three entry prices to short the stock. So the stock is gapping higher. We're saying that it's not going to get past a certain number and we should have a reaction in the other direction. This is taught in the course at LazyGapTrader.com, not to be confused with Lazy E-Mini Trader. This is a very specific strategy only taught in that course. Then we also list out important numbers. We have the S&P E-Mini numbers, we have the SPY numbers, and then we have crude oil numbers for those traders that like to traffic in crude oil. I'd like to bring your attention to just a few numbers on the far left side, the S&P E-mini side. We have 29.98. We also talk about the big fat round number of 3,000. We'll get back to that. We have 29.95. We have 29.89 and 29.80, which was already mentioned. They're of note for now. You might want to put these on a sticky note. We're going to get back to a chart in a moment, and we're going to reuse those numbers. Before we look at the E-mini chart, let's take a snapshot of AA or Alcoa. How can we not? We nailed the low of the day to the penny, $20.44. The stock hit a high today of $21.71. So here's the setup. The stock closes Friday up at $21.71. The stock is getting a semi haircut at the open. It's not a big mover. But it was moving enough to make the list. And you folks have seen this over and over and over again. We don't nail it to the penny, obviously, every time. But we do nail the low of the day many, many times. $20.44. And you can see here, low of day, $20.44. Pretty obvious to see where that tail is on the chart. That was nice. But Exact Sciences, EXAS, was even nicer. Remember, this was the morning gap trade. This was the one that was gapping up at the opening bell. So the closing price was 103.96. That's on Friday. The stock is trading higher in the pre-market, coming up on the scanner, making the morning gap trade list. So we had three possible 
areas where the stock should have a reaction in the other direction. You can see the first one was 111.95. The stock went about a dollar higher and then immediately pulled back and you can see what happened. All it did was trade down for the remainder of the day, filling its gap and even trading lower. Entry price right under 112. The stock hit about 103.5 in the afternoon. That's a remarkable decline in one day. Now let's go over to the S&P E-mini contract. So two of the lines you see on the screen were from inside the numbers. You saw them earlier. They're important numbers. We'll get back to those in a moment. We're back on the five-minute chart. I've been switching back and forth just to see if you're on your toes. Now right above 29.98, which is the top line, is the big fat round number of 3,000. We know that's important. It's a big fat round number. We've been talking about it for days and days and days. But what about below? We had 29.89. We also had 29.80, which price did not reach today. But what you can see is the importance of these numbers. They're not important on every tick, but when the market approaches an important number, it either stops and gets rejected or stops and consolidates the majority of the time. Sometimes early in the morning, you're going to spike through certain numbers. And when the volatility expands, you have to expand your thinking beyond the numbers because you have a lot more participants entering, a lot more volume. So therefore, you get a lot more, what do we always say? Larger swings in both directions. Well, that tends to happen within the first few minutes of trading as well. Look what happened right out of the gate this morning. This is the first five minute candle of the day, making a low of 29.8350, immediately rallying almost to an important number, right? And the rodeo ensued right back down, back up. But you can see how the market was fighting the important numbers. Then it goes back to the next important number. It decides it wants to go higher. Where does it go? Right to the next important number. Gets rejected, back down to an important number, up to an important number, back down, back up, over and above. Where did it go? Right to the big fat round number. Rejected, back down to where? Important numbers. The theme, if you haven't figured it out by now, is that numbers are important. We know that, but we're not going to take that for granted, and we're not going to just roll over that. Numbers are important. They're important in the ES. They're important in stocks. They're important in commodities. They're important in our lives. They're important in everything. So therefore, let's go back to the SPY chart, and let's begin discussing other stuff. Let's go back a couple of weeks ago. We were looking for a top. If you remember correctly, you can go back to the video, I believe from the 10th, maybe 11th of September. We were looking for a top between Friday, which was the 13th, and Monday or Tuesday, and it came in on Thursday. Since then, the market has made another high, but not a closing high, so that top is still valid in my book. Traders were short against that high, Traders have taken some profit against that high. What do we have going forward? What's really on the chart? Well, here's the way I'm looking at it. Market had an opportunity to break out. Couldn't do it. Sold off Friday. Today was basically a nothing day at the end of the day. 
Even though the market was up, meaning the SPY and various other things, we really had some divergences out here. And we want to begin discussing some of the divergences when we get to other markets. But first, we have to recognize that today marks the first day of autumn. It's also the autumn equinox. Now, we've had experience with equinoxes, if that's a word, before. So we have to be aware that even though I believe the market officially made a turn, if you will, we still made a higher high and we're still trading up and around this zone. So that being said, we have to be aware of the equinox. We've seen markets make a turn around those type of events. I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat or anything. I'm just saying there's also evidence because we've talked about them many many times in the past and we've seen the market make a turn in and around those events so we have to be aware of it it's of note it's actually a puzzle piece it's on the table however here's another curveball did the turn for the equinox make friday a low and even though today in the spider chart it shows a lower low remember the dividend here's the cash index and you can see in the cash index we did not make a lower low. So we've got to be aware if we're looking at lower lows or higher lows, it doesn't really count when the spider pays a dividend. We look at the cash index, there was no lower low. But because of the equinox, we have to recognize, you may not like it, but you have to recognize it. I'm the umpire, remember. We're calling balls and strikes. I don't really care who wins, I just want to call a fair game. So therefore, we have to recognize that there's a chance that Friday comes in as a low, the market turns on the equinox, and goes in the northern direction for a few days. Let me pose the question like this. After everything you've seen, why not? That being said, and we're back to the spider, that being said, we also have to recognize that we still have a bull flag pattern up here. So until and unless this is broken, either broken on the downside or broken on the upside, we have what we have. So the bull flag pattern supports the case that Friday might have been a low and today, meaning Monday, may have started another leg higher. Now it may only be for a few days, but it may have started another leg higher. To new highs? We don't know. It doesn't have to be. I'm just specifying that we may get a rally for a few days off of Friday's low if, in fact, that equinox thing ends up to be a turn. Either way, we're not hanging our hat on the equinox. However, what we are doing is recognizing where we are on the chart. Let's say things become bullish. Maybe it's a tweet. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a deal with China. Maybe it's something you didn't know about. It doesn't really matter if the market gets a spark in the bullish direction causing the bears to cover their shorts. What does that mean? Panic buying. How would we know game on for panic buying? Inside the numbers members will have the number. We'll know with hourly closes above X, game on. What about the other side? There's always another side to the coin. We're not dealing in two-headed coins here. The other side is, what happens if these lows are broken? Well, they're going to go fill the gap, aren't they? Absolutely. Maybe they come up short. Maybe they go through. But that would be the next obvious area of likely support to come into the market. There's another reason it's not just a gap. Another reason, or two, or potentially more, comes out of the course at Lazy E-Mini Trader.
The more reasons you have, the more the appearance becomes that you're going to get into a successful trade. And the reality is, is the more reasons you have, the more times you will have a successful trade. It is that simple. On the downside, what's the first clue the market's in trouble? Below today's low. It's that simple. You don't need any more complexity than that for now. If they're trading below today's low, closing an hour below today's low, they're going lower. It's just that simple. That would mean that Friday was not a low, today was not a turn in the upward direction, and lower prices are on the docket. Also, keep something else in mind. The market has basically been in this chop shop forming this bull flag pattern, if you will, or at least the flag portion, has been in this chop shop for a while. Traders who have taken the course, Lazy E-Mini Trader, will begin to understand what I'm looking at. What normally happens is about to happen. Time is just about up. We're either going to get, and I'm kind of making the number up, but I'm not necessarily making the number up. Inside the numbers, members will have refined numbers. But out of this, we're going to expect about a 50-handle move for starters. Could it be on the upside? Yes, it can. Could it be on the downside? Yes, it can. But we're going to expect an equidistant move one way or the other. And what I'm trying to point out is the market is primed for a move. It's bantered back and forth long enough. Time is up. Time is more important than price. What's doing over in Camp IWM? Now, some of you will notice that the horizontal trend line is slightly different than it's been in the past. I tried to make an adjustment as I said I would. I'm not sure it's perfect. Maybe it's better than it was before. But here's the point. Look where the low was on Friday. Maybe the line is a little bit too low. Maybe it's a little bit too high. But you can see how unbelievably close right here on last Friday, the 20th, the low of the day in the IWM came to that upsloping trend line. What did we talk about before as it relates to this trend line? It's a downsloping trend line. Sorry, not upsloping. What have we discussed as it relates to this trend line? We've discussed the fact that if the market comes back, in this case the IWM, comes back to test the top side of the trend line and it holds, that's bullish. Guess what? This is the same exact thing that we had in gold. And what happened to gold? Guess what? It took off to the upside. What's gold? It's a long-term breakout. This is the same type of scenario. It's not exactly the same chart. That's not what I'm saying. Now, I'm not saying we're going to have a long-term breakout in the IWM, but I'm saying the setup is similar. Gold was a different chart. It was a longer-term chart. The setup, the look, is similar. Here's the weekly chart so you can get an idea of what I was looking at about the trend line. So you can see the trend line is a concept. I'm not saying that just because we went above that means one thing or we didn't get above that means something different. What we use these things are for guidelines. We want to know if the market is comfortably above or has found a significant amount of resistance at this trend line. The trend line is drawn by the market not by yours truly. The trend line began with this connection point right here from May of this year. How do we know it was a valid trend line? We traded away from it. The market was rejected. And guess what? We came back to it. And what happened? Was rejected again. Tried to get over it, but was rejected again. 
Now we came back and we did get over this trend line. That trend line is important whether you want to believe it or not. Back below would be negative. Staying above is bullish. And by the way, on the weekly chart from two weeks ago, what do we have? A breakup candle. Can we go down and test the low? Yes, we can. That would be below the trend line. And if we got below the breakup candle, that would be all she wrote. That's the bear case. Holding the breakup candle and below the trend line would be interesting. We would be flirting with the moving averages. That would be an interesting scenario. Maybe we'll see it this week. Maybe we won't. But we'll be on the lookout for whatever the market provides us and we'll be able to provide the necessary analysis. The transports, my second favorite market leading indicator, IWM is number one, transports is number two, and guess what? The transports is my first favorite canary in the coal mine. So what did we do here? Look at the convergence of the moving averages. We have home base, which is the 20 period moving average, sloping upward. We have the 100 and the 50 period moving average going down sideways to maybe even downward on one of them not maybe but it is downward on one of them so that's meaningless but the convergence is meaningful so we gotta bounce into or off of the convergence of the moving averages any trader that's taken the course at lazy e-mini trader won't just notice the convergence of the moving averages but those traders will notice something else from the timing perspective the market's gonna make a move this week that's my story. Will it be a big move down or a big move up or both? That's not definitive one way or the other. But the market's going to make the move. What do we have in the triple Qs out in Silicon Valley? Basically, the market's been in a chop shop for a few weeks. Similar thing we discussed in the SPY. Time is running out. As far as the daily chart is concerned of the Qs, we're above all the moving averages We've basically traded higher and then went sideways. In a sense, that's a bull flag pattern. This isn't really a bull flag pattern. It just is above the moving averages, and we've been going sideways for a while. I hesitate to call this a bull flag pattern. How about the XLF? Anything new in terms of the XLF? Is it giving us any information? Well, we can't get any information up nine cents for the day it was down it recovered it finished up nine cents that is what it is it's not a big deal one way or the other likely story is it's going to move with the market the market's going to go down the xlf likely go down the market's going to go up the xlf will likely go up but it's not telling us anything in advance it's not acting as a leading indicator so we'll leave it alone and move on however before we move on, this is a good segue to discuss some of the other things I wanted to discuss also was the ETFs and the stocks within them to see if we can get any kind of additional picture of what's going on underneath the hood of the market. So on the daily chart, we can see the obvious. We came into the double top and so far the XLF was rejected at the double top. It's not a big deal. We're talking about 60 or 70 cents. It really isn't anything to get bearish about. We're above all the moving averages. What I like to do in a situation like this is move on and look at a different chart. See if a different chart can give us any additional information. The weekly chart. Remember the all-important $27.47? Well, guess what? We're still above. Not that it matters anymore. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But as far as I'm concerned, 
That's been played too many times. We're not going to hang our hat on 27.47 any longer. But we are above it, and it is of note. It's not a bearish market. We're above all the moving averages. You have to look at the financials and say, it's not bearish, it's bullish. Doesn't mean the market won't come down. It's just a bullish chart, end of story. What about some of the stocks within the XLF, the stocks that make up this exchange-traded fund? Shouldn't that tell another story or at least enhance this story? Making up over 12% of the XLF index or the XLF ETF is Berkshire Hathaway B-Shares. Why? Ask Spider Funds. Obviously, they have big insurance operations. If they want to consider that the leading financial stock in the XLF, so be it. Looks like the XLF, no wonder. It's not bearish. It's not necessarily bullish. We just move on. JP Morgan Chase, anything bearish on this chart? No. Bank of America, anything bearish on this chart? Not necessarily. Doesn't quite look the same as JP Morgan. Haven't made it up to this double top up here or this top up here. But there's nothing wrong with this chart. Above all the moving averages, Bank of America is fine on the daily chart. How about the monthly chart? Can this monthly chart even work higher? And the answer is yes, we're above all the moving averages. Can we get up to $35, $36, $37 in Bank of America if we have a big melt-up in the markets? Sure we can, but let me just do something a little bit different, and then we'll continue the Bank of America conversation. What happens if we do this with the chart, and we start to squeeze it together, you get an idea that while we may be making a bull flag pattern to trade higher on the monthly chart, this is a big, huge, long-term bear flag or bearish wedge pattern. It's not a flag pattern. It's a bearish wedge pattern. So where does this break down from? Here or up here? We don't know. But this is normally the way this is going to materialize over time. Doesn't mean we can't go a few bucks higher in the XLF. But this is a monthly chart. This is a long-term chart. This chart takes years and years to trade out and play out. I'm going to run up against a hard stop here pretty soon. So this is the last exchange-traded fund that we'll take a look at and we'll begin to cover some more throughout the week. The XRT is the Retail Select Spider ETF. Most of us are aware that a lot of the retailers have been hit of late, but a lot of the ones that are top on this list don't necessarily look terribly bad. There's a crazy one in here, stamps.com, doesn't belong. We're not even going to look at that chart. We've got Carvana, probably doesn't belong in a retail ETF either. We have Guess, Target, Burlington, AutoNation, Dollar General, Costco, and then a few more that don't belong in a retail sector spider either. But here's what we want to focus on. What's this doing? We traded into a moving average. We traded down for a specific period of time, and all of a sudden... We begin to stabilize. Are we going to take off in the other direction and go higher? Is the retail sector telling us things are fine? Markets are going higher. The consumer is going to continue to spend. All is fine. Nothing to see here. There's no repo problem going on at the Fed. We're not going to talk repos tonight. I am running out of time. But I will make mention of one thing. We've had some IPOs recently, and I get a lot of questions about, should I buy into the IPO? And that's up to each individual person, whether or not they want to participate 
in an IPO. I'm going to give you my take on what an IPO actually is and how we should treat an IPO. And before we do that, can you make money in an IPO? And the answer is absolutely. There are IPOs that come out at whatever price, 15, 20, any number, pick a number, and they just skyrocket. Look at Beyond Meat. It's coming back down, but it's skyrocketed. So you can make a lot of money with IPOs. But those are the exceptions, not the rule. We hear about the exceptions because they're fun to discuss. Anybody that owned or got shares of Beyond Meat and took that ride all the way up to whatever price it went to, they want to tell everybody about it. So you hear about the success stories. What you don't hear about is the 80%. You hear about the 20%. You hear about some of the debacles and you hear about some of the Beyond Meats before the collapse. So we're going to cover the 80%, the majority of IPOs, fall into the category that I'm going to describe. Here's the first thing that happens with an IPO. The ownership, whether it be an owner, multiple owners, private equity, a combination, doesn't matter. You have friends and family. When companies are started, there are usually a lot of shareholders in from a very early stage. The reason they're going public is so that The early founding members and the early investors can exchange their paper shares for money. That was the deal when they invested. They invested early with the full and complete expectation of cashing out at some price to be named later at a higher number than they invested. That's what the deal is. So one way to look at the IPO market is it's a market of stocks that are being marketed to individual investors, institutional investors, hedge funds, mutual funds, you name it. Anybody willing to buy would obviously be considered a candidate. So these willing buyers are being sold shares in the IPO ostensibly before the offering goes public. The agreement is they're willing to buy X amount of shares at X price. Now, if it opens well above X price, the new buyer wins and the original investor or the founding member, the early investor, that person has agreed to sell their shares at the offering price, not higher, not at a market price, at the offering price. You agree to buy them at 20 bucks, they agree to sell them at 20 bucks. If the first print on the stock is $30, you win. They still sold it at 20. They didn't really lose because they could be in from 12 cents. But here's the thing that we need to keep in mind. If you're buying shares in an IPO, you're buying them from the original owners that want to sell it. Very few instances I would be a willing buyer of those shares. Why do they want to sell? And if they do, I don't want to buy it. Again, there's the 20% rule, there's the Facebooks and all the others that just continue to go up for years and years and years. I get all that. And the founding members and the early investors, they had an opportunity to get a huge win and hold some of the stock and make money into the future. I get all that. But remember, those are the anomalies. Those are not the 80%. You have to look at an IPO just like we look at people We look at companies the same way. So an IPO is like an early stage company. Now, sometimes it may be a company that's been around for a while, but it's having a new offering. But let's just conceptually 
consider the fact that an IPO is like an infant. Well, an infant has no track record. So we don't really know how or what the infant is going to do when. Once the infant begins to grow up, the infant begins to get a personality. We can begin to predict certain things that the infant will do as it becomes a young girl or a young boy and then a teenager and then on from there. So the older we get, the more predictable we get. As companies grow up, the more predictable they get. You see the comparison, you see the analogy, you see the similarities. People are like companies. Companies are like people. Companies are made up of people. People run companies. It's all symbiotic. And with that, I'm definitely out of wind. I definitely have to go. I definitely want to thank you all. I definitely appreciate each and every one of you. Without you, these videos are not possible. So I thank you very much. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis.